The last page has been turned on my most recent read. I'm enjoying a beautiful, warm, spicy chai, as the weather has finally taken a turn towards autumn, and I am ready to tell you all about the book I've just finished. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion-filled, and ready to roll, all of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. I'm currently enjoying my well-earned holiday. So far, I have been to the Cotswolds, assembled a dining table, and given myself a very therapeutic pedicure. Of course, I did also have a rather nasty fall, and the bruises all over the left side of my body are a riot of greens, yellows, and purples. Yay! Rainbow colours! But that's what happens when you're both incredibly clumsy and do anything but concentrate on where you're putting your feet at any given time. <laughs> if I were a character in a rom-com, my clumsiness would be considered an attractive quirk that makes me not like other girls. However, this week I am not reading a romantic comedy, or a contemporary romance for that matter, though it does have some very deep veins of love running through it. So light a few candles or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp because a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment to a reading session. Get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening and your preference, of course. And let's get started. The book I'm going to be talking about this week is a story of love, of fantasy, of werewolves and humans and revenge, and it's written by an author who wrote a book I absolutely loved earlier this year. This book was released on the 1st of September and is Wolf Song by T.J. Clune. Ox was 12 when his daddy taught him a very valuable lesson. He said that Ox wasn't worth anything and people would never understand him. Then he left. Ox was 16 when he met the boy on the road, the little boy who talked and talked and talked. Ox found out later the little boy hadn't spoken in almost two years before that day, and that the little boy belonged to a family who had moved into the house at the end of the lane. Ox was 17 when he found out the little boy's secret, and it painted the world around him in colours of red and orange and violet, of alpha and beta and omega. Ox was 23 when murder came to town and tore a hole in his head and his heart. The boy chased after the monster with revenge in his blood-red eyes, leaving Ox behind to pick up the pieces. It's been three years since that fateful day, and the boy is back, except now he's a man and Ox can no longer ignore the song that howls between them. Ox doesn't have an easy time of it. His father knows that things aren't going to be roses and sunshine for him, but then he makes things even harder by abandoning his family, his adoring son and his loving wife. When he tells Ox that people are going to make things hard for him for his whole life, my heart really just breaks for this 12-year-old boy who struggles to fit in, who is bullied by people at school and whose father makes him aware that his life is going to be hard because he's different. Ox does everything he can to keep under the radar. 
spending his time either at the garage with Gordo, who gives him guidance and helps the small struggling family to pay their outstanding mortgage and save them from being evicted from their home following the departure of the man of the house. Without realising it, he has already started paving the path to his future, but he is no quitter and will do anything to protect his mother from harm. Ox's house is in the middle of nowhere, Oregon, surrounded by woodland. The only property nearby has been abandoned for years, but things are changing. When Mark Bennett comes to town for a visit to check on the lay of the land, Ox is, for some unknown reason, drawn to him, though he really can't explain why. Something about this new man is interesting and different, and a young Ox just wants to connect with people. He does his best all the way through to make connections, to to build friendships, to make bonds, and people are constantly disparaging him and pushing him away. He is bullied throughout school for no reason that you can tell. I mean, the fact that he's a bigger boy and he's not exactly the quickest when it comes to thinking. He's not stupid. And that's what really frustrates me about the way that his dad talks to him as though he has got some mental difficulties that are never made apparent at any other point by anybody else. Ivox thought his life had changed inexorably when he was 12. Then what happens when he's 16 knocks everything off kilter. For years, the house next to his has been empty, but one day, when he's on his way home from school, he meets a young boy in the woods. Yeah, this sounds sinister. It's not, I promise. A young boy who doesn't stop talking. Indeed, it seems he can't stop talking. He wants to know everything about Oz and share everything about himself. There is something special about young Joe Bennett, and to Joe, there is something special about Oz who smells like candy canes and pine cones and epic and awesome. I have to admit that this particular quote is probably one of my favourites, and it seems that I am not alone in that when I look at the reviews. When Joe all but drags Ox into the house that has been empty for years, Ox again sees Mark Bennett, but he is also introduced to the rest of the enigmatic and mysterious yet also open and friendly Bennett family. Joe's two brothers, Carter and Kelly, who are a similar age to Ox, and his parents, Thomas and Elizabeth. As we get to know this family through Ox's eyes, we learn that Joe has suffered incredible trauma, having been kidnapped and tortured. And when he spoke to Ox for the first time, this was also the first time he had spoken aloud in almost two years. We find out that Kelly and Carter are protective of their friends and this protectiveness extends to protecting Oz not only from bullies at school but from the attention of girls who show him any interest which does seem just a little bit weird. We learn that Elizabeth is an artist who paints in moods and those moods are often indicated by the music she's listening to. Thomas is the head of the house. He is the father figure that Ox needed since his father left. He is a man who cares about everyone and does his utmost to protect them from the darkness he is afraid will hurt them again. Understandable, given Joe's past. Things are starting to change for Ox. He has a girlfriend, the younger sister of Chris, one of his colleagues at the garage where he still works regularly. And though he doesn't seem to realise it, his bond with the Bennett family is growing ever stronger. It takes just a year for Ox to be brought in on the family secret. 
this thing that hangs over their heads that means once a month they tell him he can't spend with time with them, that he is left alone. They are werewolves, and Ox, however unaware he may have been to begin with, is part of their pack. Of course, going into this book, I knew that werewolves were a part of the story, given the title, Wolf Song, and the cover, but I really didn't know whether it would be a case of main character gets bitten by werewolf or discovers that it has always been in his genes. You know, the usual. But it was none of those, and I really loved that it was different. Ox is building real bonds with the family, and these bonds are genuine, making them all stronger. He is their tether. The revelation of the Bennett secret also opens doors for other secrets to be revealed, including one that Gordo has been keeping of his own. It turns out that Gordo is a witch, not a wizard, not a warlock, not a sorcerer. He's a witch. In fact, he is the Bennett clan's witch. And one of his most important tasks is to ensure that protective boundaries are set up around Green Creek. Oh my God. Now try saying that five times fast. Green Creek. Warning them all when someone unwelcome arrives on their territory, giving them time to prepare for a possible attack. He's also been in love with Mark Bennett for a very long time. This overflow of information is a lot for anyone to take, but Ox just takes everything in his stride as though he's always known that they were more than they appeared to be and what they are is absolutely fine with him. He doesn't necessarily want to be a werewolf, but he wants to spend time with them, to be with them. They are his family, as well as his mother, who they also bring into the fold. Unfortunately, as with anything, nothing stays pure and happy forever. When you're powerful and trying to stay off the grid, someone is bound to come along and do their best to destroy everything that's good. For the Bennett clan, Green Creek, Oregon has been their safe space, their refuge. It's been a place where they can recover from the awful things that they experienced in the past when they were in the middle of a power play because they were once the most powerful clan, the leader of all other werewolf clans across the country. When Robert Livingston, a twisted and sick witch, and Gordo's father arrives in Green Creek with Richard Collins, the werewolf who tortured and abused Joe when he was a child, you just know that everything is going to change, and it does. Ox is 23 when he watches the life drain from his mother's eyes as her throat is slit, and her killer takes joy in her death. Her death starts a bloody battle in which the Bennets are faced with their own loss, that of Thomas, and Ox witnesses young Joe change from the boy he was into the Bennet Alpha that he was destined to become. This is the moment when the entire tone of the novel changes. The light and playful, the fun, is dragged from everyone's lives by this one event though to be fair this one event is traumatic and horrific and display it's explained in not graphic but quite a lot of detail so beware of course I am actually missing out a lot in this retelling because I don't do the spoilers and though this is definitely the turning point in the novel's tone introducing darker and far more adult themes it's also the moment when I realized oblivious reader that I am. This was a love story. 
I am honestly not sure why I missed this aspect of the plot, but I will blame it on the fact that I couldn't see one of the characters as part of a romantic pairing. Despite the fact that this is a story of werewolves, territorial battles and family, it's also the story of growing love between Joe and Ox and everything they go through in order to reach a point where they can take the time to build a lasting relationship. Joe, despite only being 10 years old when we first meet him, knows from the very beginning that Ox will grow to be more important to him as their friendship develops. Now, I know that some people will have an issue with the fact that when the pair first meet, there is a six-year gap and Ox is almost an adult. And I admit there were moments when I felt a tad uncomfortable especially as it became more obvious that this was the direction the story was turning. And I will stress here that this discomfort was purely due to the age gap. However, even though Joe is obvious in his feelings for Ox, though Ox himself is blind to them for a considerable period of time, nothing serious happens until Joe is of age. Their romance is something of a slow burn and the pain that they feel when inevitably they are separated is palpable, as is Ox's resentment when Joe cuts off contact completely while doing his best to get revenge for his father's murder. Yes, I've already said I am missing swathes of plot here, but I am doing that intentionally. The book is not a short one, it's just under 600 pages and a lot happens but I just want you to read it, seriously. A lot changes through the book, and I have to be honest and say that after I realised it was a love story, it wasn't solely focused on the development of the two central characters. In fact, for considerable sections of the book, Joe isn't even in the story, though he is always in Ox's thoughts. This is really Ox's story, giving us an insight into his feelings and thoughts all through his own eyes as his life is irrevocably changed. He is determined to make his mother proud, even after she is gone, to support the people left behind when Joe, Carter, Kelly and Gordo depart the town for who knows where. He is left to help a grieving wife in Elizabeth and a mourning brother in Mark, and resolve his own feelings at having been abandoned just when he needs support the most. While he is left to his own devices, unsure as to whether his friends will ever return, he starts to build his own pack, including his ex-girlfriend and the people that were left behind at the garage, though he has absolutely no idea what he's doing. And this growth we see from Ox mirrors the strength he showed when his father left. He is resourceful and stubborn, and though he is purely running on instinct, he doesn't let the fact he doesn't really know what he's doing, stop him because he knows he is needed and it's almost as though he thrives on being the person everyone looks to while at the same time being unsure of what he's doing. Before I get into what I thought of this book, you know that I like to make sure that it's balanced. So what did other reviewers think? This book has actually been re-released, having been edited and marketed at an audience who has grown to love T.J. Clune through The House on the Cerulean Sea and Under the Whispering Door. So some of these reviews are actually going to be from an original print of the book, which came out in 2016. 
Kat read the original version of the book in 2020 and gave it just one star. She really didn't like it, clearly. This is the most unpopular opinion I've had in a hot sec. Welcome to it. I initially picked this up because the third book in the series features a couple with an ace character, and I want to read that so badly. But after reading this, I doubt I'll ever make it there because, whoa boy, this was very much not for me. And trust me, I'm truly wavering on what to rate this because I usually reserve one star for books that have no redeeming qualities. But that's not the case with this one. It's got big found family excellence, there is a strong sense of setting, and I can totally see how people could get attached to these characters. They reminded me a lot of the crew from Nora Sakovich's All for the Game series. However, this story is primarily a romance, and the entire relationship that developed between Ox and Joe made me wildly uncomfortable. That age gap was a choice. Basically, Joe mated with Ox when he was 10 and Ox was 16, when Joe was 17 and Ox was 22, things started to get romantic, and I don't feel super right about that. To be fair, I've never loved romances where there is any substantial imbalance of power, age, status, occupation, etc. But the fact that Ox and Joe met so young and essentially grew up together as family and then got together just really rubbed me the wrong way. Not to mention, once their relationship had begun, Joe was intensely possessive and primal again proprietary romances haven't been a thing I enjoy for a long time, so this could just be a me thing. But I heard some things on this audiobook that kind of made me want to unzip my skin and crawl right out of it. No judgment if you like this one, but it just was too much for my little brain. I have to be honest, the age gap thing was something I also had an issue with in the beginning. However, as I have already mentioned, that was something the author dealt with. The power imbalance probably would have more impact had it not been resolved by Joe inheriting his father's alpha status. Chan rated it five stars and her review had me chuckling for a moment because it's sort of true. Imagine if Bella didn't suck and had chosen the werewolves and was also gay. This book follows Ox Matheson as he navigates life and growing up in a small town. At the beginning of the novel, we see his father leave and a new family move in down the lane, which really starts the beginning of Ox's life. I can't do justice to this story or the way it was written, honestly. This book spans a nearly 10-year period and is told exclusively from Ox's point of view. His relationships, both familial and romantic, are so full of heart and so damn real that you often forget you're reading a shifter, paranormal book. There's violence and drama too, but this book shines so brightly in its depiction of relationships. Also, the intense character development of the two main men in this book is so gradual and yet so perfect. I love seeing confidence being built after, after traumatic experiences, and this book does such a realistic job of exploring that. I also fell deeply in love with the way this was written. We're inside Ox's head the entire time, and we actually see his character development through the writing. He goes from quiet and unsure to complicated and well-spoken. The writing is addicting, beautiful in its simplicity, and so unputdownable. Oh, also, I actually laughed out loud reading this. 
please go pick this up if you're looking for a family-centric, heartwarming AF romance, even if you're sceptical of the paranormal. So, where do I fall when it comes to this book? Here's where I get into the nitty-gritty. Did I like Wolf's Song? I actually requested this book through NetGalley and then did some research and discovered that this was a reissue of one of Clune's earlier books. Did that disappoint me? No, not at all, because I know that Clune has a way with words and the idea of werewolves is one I have always enjoyed in fiction. When I read the first Twilight book, because yes, I have read them, I can't judge them without it, I wanted Bella to end up with Jacob. Am I going to have to now go into hiding because of that? Anyway, there is a lot to like about this book. There is amazing character development. You learn so much about Ox and his inner turmoil, the feelings of rejection when his father leaves and how he is oblivious initially to the fact that he's not going to come back. He is so torn between his anger at his father and the, the the feelings that his mother is inspiring in him. She doesn't want him to hate his father. She just wants him to understand that it's just it's now them. And when Gordo offers him a way out when they are desperately in need of money and his father has left their entire family in such a state that they can't afford to pay the mortgage even though his mother is working and they are doing their best and Gordo offers him a way out and Ox will not take it unless he can pay him back. He's a 12-year-old boy and he's saying, no, I've got to be able to work for this. And Gordo realising that Ox won't take this ha this offering, he won't take charity, realising that he actually says, okay, you can work for me and in not in a cruel way, he sort of tricks him into believing that he has paid the debt off that much quicker than he has because Gordo knows that he is a good person. And you see this goodness in Ox growing so much, especially after Joe and the others leave to get vengeance on Richard Collins. You see Ox almost bring people closer to him because he knows now he cannot be alone and he is his heart is breaking for Elizabeth who won't transform from her wolf state as she is grieving for Thomas and he is doing his best to help her all at the same time as he is mourning the mother that he watched get slaughtered in their home a home that he can no longer step inside of because he is so heartbroken. And I loved this character. I know that there are certain things that were problematic. The That one thing that made me cringe was the age gap initially, because it did feel like there was an imbalance. However, it was shifted on its head when Joe inherited or gained the position of alpha from his father a relatively young age, just 17, and then left. So there is all that time for those two characters to grow, up, grow apart together, if that makes sense. Another thing that I loved was the depiction of nature. I could almost smell the woods 
and the sensations that they have while they're roaming and walking and running in the woods, that freedom they have. It almost makes me wish that I actually liked the outdoors a lot more. One thing I will say is the smut. Now, I am not a prude, but I am very glad I read this while I was at home because I blush a lot. As anybody who's seen my live stream will know, the one live stream I've done, I blush really, really well because I am incredibly pale. And the smut in this book is not what I expected because I have read The House in the Cerulean Sea, which was a love story, but it was a far more romantic, slow burn love story. Whereas this was a slow burn. It was incredibly emotional, but then, whoa, it got explicit. Were brief moments, but they were explicit. So just be warned that this is not the book to give your children or your young teenagers. The House in the Cerulean Sea is that one. This one is the one that you read. Honestly, it is. There are moments in it that have me going, excuse me. And I don't tend to shock really, really easily. But this had me going, whoa. It was good. It was well written and those bits were few and far between, but they did make me take a step back and go, hello, excuse me, my brain. Uh, not enough to bleach it, obviously. Will I read more by TJ Clune? I have answered this one before when I reviewed House and the Cerulean Sea, and the answer remains exactly the same. Yes. There are seven books in this series, including three novellas, and the most recent one, Heart Song, was released in 2020. Though I do get the feeling that with the republication of Wolf Song, the first book in the series, through a larger publisher, they will likely all be reissued with new artwork and possibly minor amends. I do still have Under the Whispering Door to read. I keep on putting it off. It keeps on getting pushed back because others come in that I want to read just as much. And I really should get a proper reading diary sorted. Does anyone have a reading diary that they actually schedule in the books they're going to read? I need to try and stick to some kind of routine unless it's a reading emergency. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then these might be the direction to go. There are so many options here. Of course, if you love Clune's style of writing, you have to read The House and the Cerulean Sea. I'm not sure how many times I can A, say that in this episode and B, recommend it to people, but I will persist because it is really worth reading. It's beautifully written and it's a lovely story. Total fantasy, sort of. The Captive Prince series, which starts with The Captive Prince by C.S. Pacat, has elements that could be seen as similar to this. It's a fantasy, there's a battle for power, and it has a lot of the steamy stuff if that's what you're into. The second and third books are better than the first, but as this is a trilogy, it's probably best to start from the beginning. If you're looking for something focusing more on the supernatural or paranormal side, then there's always the Otherworld series by Kelly Armstrong, which starts with Bitten, and they are very werewolf-focused. 
And if you want something supernatural and YA, then the Wolves of Mercy Falls series, which starts with Shiver by Maggie Stiefvater, is probably a really good place to start. How? Seriously, how is it September? Sunset is now before eight o'clock. The evenings are getting a little cooler. And for some, supermarkets have started to put out decorations already, which is far too early, if you ask me. December is early enough. A hot spicy chai is my evening drink of choice, and I have started to search in earnest for my jumpers, of which I only have a few, because the season turns incredibly quickly. I may be sitting here in t-shirts today, and I am, but by Wednesday it could easily be cardigan weather and I'm not going to actually guarantee it's not going to be cardigan weather by Wednesday because apparently we are due for a sudden dip and a lot of rain. I have now read a total of 86 books this year, so I think I'm doing pretty well and even better, 36 of those are by authors I have never read before. Something I am really proud of because my target was 20 for 2022. I try to pick up a few new authors every single year and occasionally I will actually find one to devour. This year I am really happy to say I think I found four authors with a decent back catalogue and I am slowly making my way through them though I am still picking up a lot of new books. I have been pretty disciplined, all that being said, with my buying this week. When I was on my trip, obviously, I can't actually read on a coach, in a car, on a boat. Not massively great at reading on a plane either. So I tend to watch stuff. And this week, when I was on my coach trip to the Cotswolds, which I will talk about in a moment, I was actually watching the last seven episodes of this season of Only Murders in the Building. Now, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but wow. Did anybody else expect that ending? Because I really didn't. And looking at the news to see that Paul Rudd has signed up for season three really made me happy because I love Paul Rudd in pretty much everything. All that being said, I have been pretty disciplined with my buying this week, mostly because I spent a hefty whack of change on getting my hair done and then I bought a new dining table. Yes, I know how to live large, don't I? Exciting times ahead. Anyway, the book I purchased ended up being Austin Land, mostly because I watched the film again for the first time in a long while and it just gave me this desire to read something Austin-esque but not Austin, though I have got her entire collection to go through at some point in the next couple of months because it is my Austin season again. So I headed on to Amazon, did a little bit of searching and managed to find a copy of the book. Who'd have thought it'd be so difficult? I wanted a physical copy rather than a Kindle version. So that's what I got, though it won't be delivered for a few days. I think postal strikes are causing a lot of problems over here right now. Despite the fact that my TBR continues to grow, I am not going to let that restrict me because I'll never find all my new authors if I do. So if there is a fiction novel you think I would love, I am not going to say no. Trust me, I don't say no to books very often. So recommend away. Send me an email at notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com 
or DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I will be sure to check out whatever you've sent me. Can't guarantee I will get it, but I will check it out. I know that I wasn't around last week and for that I apologise, but it was for really good reason, I promise. I started my two weeks off and I managed to plan every big thing I was doing for the beginning of the break, which meant that the end of it would just be relaxation, reading and watching stuff on TV. I still have to catch up on Cobra Kai season four and Stranger Things season four. Oh, both season fours. But I've got to watch both of them before I go back to work on Thursday. I might be able to do it. This meant that I was out for most of the weekend. I took a trip to the Cotswolds, which were beautiful and I would love to move there, despite the fact that there is very little in the way of public transport. It was incredibly busy with tourists on the day, but still maintained a really peaceful village feel. I found a few cottages with beautiful outside space. And as I wandered through Borton on the Water, I kept on coming across these little nooks and quiet places that tiny little cafes with outside seating and inside seating where people were having cream teas and everything. And I think they would be a reading heaven, which is what I'm always looking for. I did actually take a book with me on the trip and I read part of it while I was in the village after I did my shopping, which wasn't book related. We only actually ended up with two hours in the village and probably spent seven hours on the coach. But having never been there before, I am really glad I went and I would probably go back if I had the opportunity. However, it turns out that there will be no more coach trips as the coach parking has now been closed down or rather is being closed down as of the 1st of January 2023, which made me quite sad. However, at some point I may well go back, even if it does mean I have to get get there another way. I don't think I even saw a train station. Huh. I don't think I'll be hitchhiking, though. That's something I wouldn't do. Anyway, less of the I so would live in the Cotswolds talk. Let's get on to the book releases for the week beginning the 5th of September. Seriously, I don't know where the year is going. If you love yourself a thriller and J.D. Robb is one of your favourites, then you'll definitely want to order the 55th Yes, 55th book in the In Death series, Desperation in Death. Are you a gamer that loves League of Legends? If so, then this first novelisation, Ruination by author Anthony Reynolds, should be on your buy list for September. It has everything you could want. Magic, legend, love and revenge against the backdrop of the universe created for the game. This book will probably be going on my shopping list as I find the life of Agatha Christie both fascinating and sad at the same time. Historian Lucy Worsley has written this biography simply titled Agatha Christie, A Very Elusive Woman. I wonder what she's going to say about the day she disappeared in 1928. There is something about mythology that gets me every single time. So it looks like I'm going to be buying two new books this week. Sure, I don't always like what I read, but this next book, Ithaca, The Songs of Penelope by Claire North, is based during one of my favourite mythological periods, 
the Trojan War. I don't know why. I've always had a fascination for it. I wonder if it's something to do with the fact that when I was eight, I played the role of Cassandra when we did mythology at primary school. There are actually a fair few books coming out this week, but then I did say that September is always packed with new releases. So if you want to find out more, sign up for my newsletter by clicking on the button on my website or by heading to my Twitter page. So how are things in the bookish household this week? Though I have actually been off work this week and in enjoying a much-deserved break consisting mostly of books, TV and more late nights than I should probably have had. My confidence also took a bit of a battering purely because of something stupid. I know I know that it sounds insane but when you're living alone and many people will know this, not only women but men as well, you are a little bit more conscious of how you do things and what you do because you know that if something were to happen nobody would notice it immediately on Saturday having had an entire day with my mum on Friday on Saturday I was getting things ready because I was having a dining table delivered on Thursday so exciting I know and somebody was coming to pick up the dining table they were meant to be coming on Saturday and then it changed to Monday, then they cancelled, but that's another story entirely. And I was dismantling the table, which meant lying it on its side and taking the the, the table legs off, the chair legs, taking the table legs off with a an Allen key and laying everything out. I took a step backwards, just a single step. My cat moved, so I shifted slightly to the left and tripped over a cable, the edge of a rug and the remains of my cat as she ran the other direction. She's absolutely fine. I will reassure you she is fine. However, I am still finding bruises. I've bruised all the way down my leg. I've got bruises on the back of my leg. I've got bruising on my shoulder. I've got bruising on my wrist, my elbow and my upper arm, which I keep on just finding more. I have got bruising on my chest and I've got bruising down my side. I didn't realize I'd hurt myself that badly. And I'm lucky really that I didn't realize at the time because I'd have probably panicked a lot more than I did. However, it really hit my confidence badly because now all I keep on thinking is if it's so easy for me to just fall over like that, for no reason apart from I misstepped really what would have happened if I'd fallen no joke I was probably six inches away from cracking my head on the side of a table I if I'd fallen slightly further to my left I would have been seriously injured as it was, I am a massive bruising, which is quite funny to look at because I do keep on finding new ones and they're all at the same stage of development. So they're a lovely sort of greeny, purpley colour, which is really pretty if it's not on your person. <laughs> and I keep on thinking I'm, I was really lucky and it did affect my confidence because I'm, I'm, Obviously, I'm limping a little bit because my leg is, no joke, I've got about a 
nine inch bruise wrapping around the bottom of my leg and it is painful. I keep on knocking it and because I'm left-handed and I express myself with my hands a lot, I keep on whacking the bruise with my hand when I'm tapping to, along to music or reading a book and find a bit that makes me a little happy or, or a little sad or a little stressed. And yeah, I'm just increasing the bruising at this point. But I then start to think, oh my God, it could have been so much worse. And should I have... I mean, my boss jokes all the time, I should have a medic alert or something because I live alone and I am incredibly clumsy as a rule, but I haven't ever done anything quite so bad as this fall. I mean, this fall is my mum's level of clumsy and my mum is somebody who will fall over a lot. And last week she rolled a, a rubbish bin over her foot and has now lost her toenail. Um, and she drops things and trips over things all the time. And I never thought that I was, I mean, I'm clumsy, granted, but I never thought I was that clumsy. And now I worry because I don't have regular contact with anyone outside of work. Well, I, there's a couple of people that I will hear from, but I don't think that they'd be in a position to go, oh, right, well, I need to contact such and such because I haven't heard from Ray since this morning. It makes me wonder if I have enough contingency in place. And it makes me scared that I am reaching that point where I am clumsy enough that I should be concerned for myself. Do I look after myself well enough when it comes to things like that? I know my sugar levels are high, but that's a doctor thing that I can't change on my own. And I have been waiting for him to sort it out, but it's another thing entirely. So what do I do? And it scares me. And it actually has made my, my brain has been massively overactive this week with it could have been so much worse. What if you hadn't been able to get up? Because I struggled to get up afterwards. I was in a lot of pain so much so that it made me a little bit sick and it just made me scared and it, as I said it, it affected my confidence a lot to the point where I started wondering if perhaps I do need to have an emergency contact on my phone that I can literally dial in case of an emergency which I don't have at the moment so maybe that's a lesson maybe I should have an ICE I don't know. Anyway, that was my week, all affected by <laughs> a fall, which admittedly I have I have noticed, yeah, a bit of bruising on my ribs, but nothing's broken. That's a small mercy, right? It did also give me the confidence and the tool to turn down an invitation to a family party today. As I'm recording this, it's Saturday and they're having a massive event. It's my I think it's my brother and my niece's joint birthday thing. My brother's birthday is on Sunday and my niece goes back to college next week because she's recording in a Robbie Williams video. But anyway, uh, that's another story for another time because I only found out about that today. And I turned down the invite because they're having a lot of people there that I don't know and I'm not very good with that. And after the events of this week... I don't want to need to be very good at that. Well, that's it for this week. 
what a note to end on thank you so much for listening if you like what you hear the book review stuff obviously why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on good pods spotify apple podcasts or Podchaser. you can follow me on twitter at being underscore bookish and on instagram at being bookish pod or you can check out my website beingbookish.co.uk Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week, though I have already read the book and another book is calling me. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.